three on the way. Good! And Garland spins down the lane and laid it in. This crowd has erupted. Welcome to Fear the Fro, a podcast covering the Cleveland Cavaliers and the NBA with the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Figure out a way to stop it. Listen and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. Here it is, my favorite show. And now, your host. His name is Bob Schmidt. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. I am Bob Schmidt, voice of Fox Sports Radio, your host, and a anomaly on the podcast today. Normally, it's just me. Screaming at the wall in this room by myself, but with a chance at vengeance on the horizon this weekend against the Los Angeles Clippers, I thought who better to speak of the LA Clippers, the matchup coming up against the Cleveland Cavaliers, all the stuff happening in the NBA, including the announcement of the NBA All-Star starters, and a couple of other subjects, including some crossover content involving the Oklahoma City Thunder. This man is the pre- and post-game voice of the L.A. Clippers, Adam Osland, at follow Adam A. on Twitter if you want to uh, hear his many opinions on the L.A. Clippers and the best coverage that you can get. Adam, thank you for being here today. Bob, it's good to be here, and I'm glad you don't have to just scream at the white padded walls anymore with your crazy ass. No, I don't. And this is a daytime recording as opposed to most of my podcasts, which go deep into the evening. So, uh, <laughs> so you're very lucid and ready to go. I am. I am. But this will be an adjustment in the sense that I'm generally reacting to something that just happened as opposed to spending a significant amount of time looking at the stuff that is ahead. And as we're recording this, the Thunder game hasn't even happened yet. By the time I release this, uh, that will happen. So for anyone listening, if we say things that seem out of place here, like if uh, Shea goes for 80 tonight, then uh, that would be the reason for that. But to the subject, uh, I, I guess a, a, as good a place to start as any, since you did mention this is the first time on this podcast here, uh, but I have joined you on your own podcast, the FNA podcast. Adam is one of two hosts of that, and we did one today, in fact, talking about a bunch of subjects. Amongst those were, well, what did we hit, Adam? We had uh, we had some load management talk. We uh, called the TNT guys casuals, especially Shaq. <laughs> we talked about Rui Hachimura with the Lakers, and then the Clippers on a four game winning streak. Ah, okay. So yes, to to that point, the Clippers seem to be well. I would have said they were coming into their own last month a bit more. I know they had a skid here. Was it this month? They they lost six in a row, but now they've won four in a row. And by all accounts, the best play that we've seen so far this season from the combination of PG and Kawhi Leonard, both guys in this month, both of them are flirting with 50, 40, 90s. Kawhi's there already. And PG with a little bit more luck at the free throw stripe would be uh, part of that very difficult to achieve club. I mean, Kawhi Leonard is flirting with 50, 50, 90 <laughs> lately. He's been that good. Uh, I believe in the month of January here, and he's played something like, 19 of their last 25 games. Uh, So he's starting to catch a rhythm. He's averaging 26 in January for this team. You know, them and this four game winning streak coincides with Kawhi and Paul George being on the court for four straight games. That's the longest stretch they've been together so far this season. So with 32 games left, they're starting to get those reps in. And Kawhi missed the first 20 of the first 25 games of the season. So to see him come back, 
and play at this high of a level. We talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's pretty unbelievable. I never thought he'd be this close to where he was this soon coming off the ACL injury. And he looks damn near at least 95% of the way there already, not just with what he's doing offensively with the efficiency I mentioned there, but you know, he really shows off the athleticism on defense. You saw the other night he had the big block on LeBron James when he went down the lane, but he's been a menace on that end. He looks exactly like Kawhi Leonard. I know there's been a lot of the fan base for LA that's been waiting to see a significant stretch of games where Kawhi and PG were together because obviously for them to achieve what they want to achieve, that's a critical component. Where are you at in terms of your confidence that despite where they sit in the standings right now, I know they've won four in a row, but obviously not having that continuity early in the season. It is a, a clump of teams that exist between the four seed and the 10 seed, all bunched within two games of one another. So they go on a little run and they could, you know, vault up as far as third pretty easily, or they go on a skid and they could find themselves in late play in territory. How do you feel in terms of what's your confidence moving forward? Well, you know, earlier in the season, we talked a lot about, it's more about process than wins and losses now. But currently, it's about both. You got to get victories because you're that close in the standings to falling, what? They're two and a half games out of being the 10th seed, which is occupied by the Utah Jazz in the West. So they're closer to being the 10th seed than they are the first seed uh, by a large margin. But they're only a half game out of being the fourth seed. They're right behind the New Orleans Pelicans. So they have to get victories, but they also have to build championship habits. And I'm feeling a little bit better about that recently because throughout the year, we talked about bad habits and I said their identity was they've been consistently inconsistent for a variety of reasons, mostly starting with just on bad luck and being unlucky with health with Kawhi and Paul George, but also your guy, Coach Lou, and I think you can speak to this with him being the Cavs coach for a while, but he likes to tinker and he likes to experiment with lineups and they played a lot of three guard lineups that weren't working. And all of a sudden they're shoring up rotations and they're starting to tighten things up on that end while Kawhi and Paul George are out there. And we're seeing hashtag wing stop, which is that's what Clipper nation was calling this team because they just have a plethora of wings out there and interchangeable guys with Kawhi, Paul George, Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, Terrence Mann, Amir Coffey. And the hope was you were going to see uh, a lot of five-man lineups with those guys. And now Terrence Mann's in the starting lineup, kind of a bigger guard. He's really more of a wing, a three. Everything's a lot more positive right now after they lost 9 of 11 to win four straight. But I'm seeing some of those little things come together. They're not turning the basketball over nearly as much. They've cleaned that up uh, with the ball in Kawhi's hands a lot more. And then the run they went on when the Lakers cut it to 10 the other night, LeBron couldn't miss and had a career-high nine three-pointers. And then Kawhi and Paul George said enough, and they go on an 8-0 run to close out the ball game, and the Lakers wave the white flag. Like You're seeing a sense of urgency out there we didn't see earlier in the season. They're getting off to better starts, and they're finishing teams off now too. In terms of the actual roster and the the stuff that we'll see moving forward, I know a lot of the preseason hype was about just the unbelievable depth that the Clippers have. But uh, being that the trade deadline is approaching on February 9th, are there any logical moves that you could see happening or that not to say that you're advocating for them, but ones that in, you know, Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry and whoever it may be, are there any logical depth for more impactful, tighter rotation type trades that 
that you could see or you've heard discussed amongst the Clipper fandom and media? Yeah, one thing we've talked about all season is, you know, your depth can get you by during the regular season, but then rotation shorten in the playoffs. So you may want to consolidate some of that depth. You know, if there's one thing that's missing, it's that prototypical traditional point guard on this team that they've been trying to find for a while. And they tried Rajon Rondo. Ironically, he was good in the regular season and bad in the playoffs for them in 2021. It has fallen off since then, obviously. No longer in the league, I believe. But uh, then we, you have John Wall this season, who has been so up and down with erratic play. And it's understandable. He's played 40 games the last three years coming into this one off of that Achilles injury. You just don't know what you're going to get. Uh, game to game, possession to possession with him. And he plays at such a different tempo than the rest of these guys. As much as I like the idea of it, the fit hasn't quite worked yet. You know, if they get one of these guys, I mentioned John Wall and Rajon Rondo. If one of these point guards can also shoot, that's the difference because you have to play off the ball next to Kawhi and Paul George. Either a more traditional, prototypical point guard, even if he doesn't start, just to be in there to run the show at times. But they definitely have to get a backup big. They have to find somebody behind Avica Zubats. And there have been a lot of names out there. Um, Donna Pirtle is one of the recent ones. Hartenstein has resurfaced because he's not getting minutes right now that Nerlens, much. Tip, I saw out there. He's in love with him. Nerlens Noel. Hassan Whiteside still hasn't been picked up by a team. There are guys they could get. Derek Favors, I believe, still hasn't been picked up. Could that- we interest you in a Kevin Love for <laughs> uh, Luke Kennard and somebody who makes what Marcus Morris makes but isn't Marcus Morris because I, I don't want any part of him. Somebody in like a like a Nicholas Batum, who you told me earlier today is basically untouchable but would be I think, I think a, he is. a fantastic people- addition to many teams yeah. at this point. That's the thing. Like He's... He's just this perfect team player that he kind of embodies their culture a little bit. I don't think they can get rid of him. Uh, I don't know, because Kevin Love, you know, him playing the five, he's still undersized a little bit. Oh, yeah. He likes to play along I, the perimeter. They're I wasn't bringing somebody- that to you as a serious. Kevin Love has been just objectively horrible since the start of the year. And with that hand injury, I mean, he was out of the lineup last night. And we were coming off a game against the Knicks where the Cavs scored zero bench points in the second half, just 12 in the entire game. And Love was shut down last night, and we got 25 points just out of Dean Wade and Osmond. So there are a lot of people who, despite what Kevin's given to the franchise, he is in a rough place right now in terms of whether it's the hand injury or just an incredible shooting slump. Um, And at this point, it's hard to envision him as much more than uh, in a uh, salary-matching gigantic deal, you know, just shy of... $30 $30 million, but it's just hard not to fantasize a bit when you look at that Clippers roster and you see all these rangy, long, you know, small forwards, essentially. Like you said, you're playing man a bit out of position. It, it just feels like the rich get richer there and, uh, you know, can't help but be a little bit jealous. I mean, I, look, I look at that. Look, you can get Moses Brown back if, you, if you'd like that. <laughs> I think we're good. Uh, at the, We still got Mobley. We got little Mobley, Mobley 2.0 uh, in the wings waiting. We got uh, deadweight Robin Lopez. I'm sure he's not that much different than Moses Brown. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't mind a backup center, but I would be thinking, see, for me, the guy that I really like because he's an expiring deal, and I spoke about this on one of the trade talk pods that I did, is uh, Miles Plumley. He's in that sweet spot contractually uh, where you have him making just shy of $10 million. He's having his best month 
of of his career potentially, averaging somewhere near 15 points and 13 rebounds last time I looked at the numbers and doing it on nearly 70% efficiency from the floor. Now, now wait, Miles or Mason here? Did I say Miles? I meant Mason. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know why I was thinking. Miles is in uh... jail. <laughs> no, no, uh, no Ma- I was thinking. I'm sure I'm just conflating that because of Miles Bridges being on the roster. But no, I'm not talking about Miles Plumley. I'm talking about Mason Plumley uh, in Charlotte, who you know, good ball mover, good screen setter, mm-hmm. like very good passer. Not and surprisingly efficient as a scorer, even if his shot looks hideous especially his free throw stroke. He's just one of those contract sweet spots that he's on a trash team, which is always ideal when you're looking to pluck a depth piece and to plug in someone behind Zubac. I think that would be an interesting fit. He had like 24 and 17 the other night. Yeah. He's had some big games recently and Charlotte, they're going to be sellers. The other guy there to look for maybe Terry Rozier, bringing him into the backcourt. Well, you'd be in striking distance with like a Reggie and a wall to get close to Rozier's number. You'd have to throw in somebody else, but um, it might take a young guy. It might take getting rid of, unfortunately, Brandon Boston to make some of these moves or Amir Coffey, who's on a team friendly contract. Yeah, because just to clarify for, for, you know, my mostly Cavalier centric audience here, really, you're only expiring this year. You're only true expiring is Reggie. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the other people, you do have a team option on John Wall's second year, but he makes just shy of $7 million a year. So he's more of a package in with someone else to get into the range of the guys like Rozier or Lowry or Van Vliet, who would all make significantly way more in salary north of 20, yeah. 20 mil. So. He's, he's on that taxpayer mid-level. And a lot of people are still saying, why did they go for John Wall instead of holding on for Isaiah Hartenstein? Well, he ended up getting $8 million a year. They simply couldn't afford to keep him. They yeah, might because, be able to trade back Correct for me him. if I'm wrong. The taxpayer mid-level was somewhere around six and a half, was it not? Exactly. And yeah. that is what John Wall got from them. Okay. So okay. they used it on him. It hasn't worked out for the most part. He has That's a gamble you take 10 times out of 10, though. I mean, John Wall sure. was putting up good numbers in Houston when he was playing. And even if you get a fraction of John Wall at that type of price point, I mean, we just paid Dean Wade $6 million a year based off largely a sample of fill-ins during injuries last year. Don't get me wrong. Very promising guy. He had four three-pointers yesterday. I'm excited for his role moving forward. But he and Rubio, that's what those guys were making. John Wall's resume earned him at least that much considering it wasn't injuries. He was healthy at the end. He was just shut down because he didn't fit Houston's garbage agenda. They were going with the youth movement and he was, I mean, he talked about it recently, how toxic that situation oh, was. Believe me, I know that that made it into the uh, podcast <laughs> from the, the Rockets follow up. John Wall has some uh, had some wonderful quotes in his podcast with um, I forget who it was Theo Pinson and one of the other guys talking about the Houston situation. But I wanted to ask you, uh, well, first of all, we need to relitigate the last game that the Cavs played against the Clippers. Because I had every intention of talking to you. Are you sure you, you want to do that? Before, I just, I, mean, I just want to, I, I want to, I want you to answer for some things that I had an issue for. Uh, <laughs> it was a game in which it was, it was very reminiscent of this Cavs recent jazz game where in the fourth quarter, they saw a near certain victory. One in which I was already doing some victory laps on your Twitter account. And uh, it collapsed quickly. The Clippers closed the game on a 19-5 run. Uh, Norm Powell, 13 points in the fourth quarter. And this is, this is where I take issue. I, oh. I can lose at the end. Okay. I, I can deal with that. But in a game where Donovan Mitchell made eight three-pointers out of 11 attempts, scored 30 points, where we got a 25-point-plus a, a game from Mobley, 
your team got 22 fourth quarter free throws. 22 of them. Seven from Norman Powell. Well, you got to reward the more aggressive team. And that's, that's uh, Norman Powell is certainly one of those guys. He, actually, he has been awesome in fourth quarters. He's had a 22-point fourth quarter to beat the Portland Trailblazers this year. He's been phenomenal late in games, but that may have been the start of things. And by the way, they did that with, <laughs> without Kawhi Leonard, that big 13-point comeback with about five minutes left. That's true. That's true. I was going to point that out, but but you beat me to it. I wasn't going to glance glance over the fact that they didn't have Kawhi. However, oh, Donovan man. Mitchell may not be there on Sunday, but here's what I'm wondering. Percentile chance. The Clippers are on a back-to-back road swing. They play Atlanta, and then they play the, the Cavs. What are the odds we see both Kawhi and Paul George in Cleveland? Okay, so Paul George is coming off the hamstring injury. He's yet to play a back-to-back since then, but he's only been back for a handful of games so far. Kawhi hasn't played a back-to-back all season, but was asked, does he want to play? Will he play back-to-backs coming up down the stretch? Sounds like he wants to. The thing is, it's not just his decision. He has his doctors. They have the Clippers doctors. Yeah. It's a collective thing. Should probably be cautious. Maybe wait till after All Star break before you start those back to backs. I'm thinking of Kawhi well, here. I'm I'm just trying to, you know, do, yeah. do what's best for and him. And I assume they're both going to play against Atlanta just to keep it going. The good vibes here with him and Kawhi playing. That would be five straight games together. So I would say it's unlikely that he plays against the Cavaliers. But if there was a time for him to start things. Uh, with him back to playing back-to-backs, the Cavaliers game in this road trip, because they don't have another back-to-back over the next month until March. So there is a slight possibility, I would say, that Kawhi Leonard goes in that one. Okay. Well, my my confidence and my tone and generally the way that I treat you on Twitter will be contingent upon that information. Now, uh, another thing I wanted to talk about since... The Cavs, by the time people listen to this podcast, this Thunder game will hopefully be a victory in the books for the Cavs, if all went well. But uh, it does bring up an interesting parallel. So I saw this stat was finally eclipsed by Kawhi and Paul George, and you probably know the one I'm talking about. It is a uh, Clipper hater stat that has uh, went around the internet, and that is up until about three, four days ago, Shea Gilgis Alexander had accumulated more points on the season than both Paul George and Kawhi collectively, and they have run him down in this four-game winning streak. They now have 1,368 points between the two of them to 1,356 points for Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Now, linked throughout history because of the trade that brought Paul George to the Clippers, which, in fairness, was something that probably needed to happen to get Kawhi Leonard to sign in LA. And I think that's the most important part here, and I'm sure that was one of the first things that you were going to touch upon. But just... That package, Shea Gilgis, Danilo, a 2021 first, which turned into Trey Mann, a 2022 first, which turned into Jalen Williams, who looks very good so far, and then two more picks going their way and two more first-round pick swaps uh, in 2023, 2024, 2025. It's it's minutiae. It's a lot of first-round picks. It's a couple of prospects who are in the system already in Oklahoma City in Trey Mann and Jalen Williams, and it's, of course, Shea, who you could argue is having the best season of every player involved there, including Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, do you have any reservations about that deal? And if I asked you to revisit it today, knowing what you know, would you still pull the trigger? 11 times out of 10, because it gives you a chance to win a championship and not just a chance, not just the hypothetical. And 
maybe this is a little bit going down that road, but I think most people accepted that if Kawhi Leonard doesn't get hurt against the Utah Jazz with that strange move he took and a little bump from Joel, uh, Joe Ingles, the Clippers win the championship. Like They took the Phoenix Suns to six games without him. And then I've seen what Kawhi can do to Giannis Dinakumpo in a seven-game series. I think they were the best team that year. And I'm with so, you on the Suns part. I don't know that I'm with you on the Bucks part. I mean, Giannis, well, that would have been interesting to see. I'm not discounting it. It definitely could have happened. but It's not a given. It's not a given. But they may have been favored given Kawhi's track record. Uh, and just the way he held Giannis under 40% shooting, what, the last three games of that series in 2019, the Eastern Conference Finals, when he said, yeah, this is what's going to change. I'm guarding Giannis the rest of the way. <laughs> but I, I think uh, their win percentage is 720 in the regular season with those two guys. Granted, they've only played about 100 games together, and they've been snake bit with injuries, and that's been really disappointing. But we're not talking like OKC has even won a playoff series yet with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. We know what he's going to look like as a number one option in a playoff series. And I love SGA. And I thought he would get to an all-star level, maybe not this soon and this dominant, where I think he's at about 31 per game. But Paul George, the trade was, and you mentioned this earlier, and it was at the front of my mind, the trade was for Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Now, do you think there's any, that specifically, I've always wondered, do you think that there, there was any posturing by Kawhi there? Do you think that he would well, no, have the report fast- was he wanted to play with Paul George? Right. That well, was the I report. guess what I'm wondering is considering who actually had cap space on that market, do you think if they had not pulled the trigger on that, that he would have joined the Lakers? Because that was really the other team being talked about with Kawhi Leonard at that point. Or do you think that was one of those hollow promises? Where, okay, this is what I would have wanted, but you know what? You're still my best option, even if that means I'm playing with Shea and a bunch of cap space and picks. It's Kawhi, so, I mean, (laughs) it's always mums the word. It's hard to read the tea leaves when it comes to him. But maybe it's possible he signs a one or two year with an option and stays in Toronto, but he did want to come back home. So maybe he goes to the Lakers. That seemed to be the biggest thing for him, just being back in Southern California. But I I don't think it was much of a decision for the Clippers. Paul George was coming off the year before where he was top three in MVP, where he was top three in defensive player of the year voting. And when he's been there on the court for the Clippers, he's been fantastic. And he was the one who dragged them to the Western Conference Finals. Remember all the talk when Kawhi went down in Game 4. It's a 2-2 series. They're going back to Utah. Oh, great. Here we go. Playoff P. He's going to choke it away. He's going to give away this series now. No, instead, he had 40 and played amazing, and they closed out Utah. He had another game where their back was against the wall in Phoenix, another 40-point game in Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals. Like, I don't know if I'll ever see SGA put a team on his back to that level. Uh, well, so, okay, but to be fair, yeah, he had a game he scored 40, but then in the closeout game, he went 6 for 15 from the floor and struggled. So He I, was I, bad and everybody was bad. And I, I agree. I'm just saying it's Phoenix not... caught fire and couldn't miss. He's had a fair, he had a fair amount of clunkers, you know, over the course of that time, even in that series. I mean, he sandwiched that 40-point game by shooting 11 of 35 in the ones around it. So, and, and including... 
two for 15 from three over that stretch. So that like, well, I, I would agree with you that he had some huge playoff series, but that Phoenix one is probably not the one I would point to as this is making the case that he's playoff P. He definitely had some bad moments, uh, but he also is an all-world defender out there. And look at his rebounding numbers in the playoffs because they were going small a ton. Remember, Avica Zubats got hurt in the series against the Phoenix Suns, and they had to use DeMarcus Cousins some. Like Paul George was really their best rebounder, too. So I think the amount of energy he had to expend in that series took its toll on his shooting numbers overall. But he was great, and he lived up to his end of the bargain. And I have no doubt that they beat Phoenix with Kawhi Leonard, maybe handily. Okay. Okay. Well, that's fair. I, I, I just kind of wanted to get your sense of things as it goes on. Cause it is truly unbelievable what Shea is doing this season. And there, you can't help but wonder, especially as somebody who's not, you know, in the trenches every day, when you're just looking at seasons in their totality more and you're thinking, okay, this was, that's the other thing. It's the burden of expectations. And Cavs fans are seeing it now after adding Donovan Mitchell you can succeed. You can even be better than the previous year. But if you don't meet the expectations of what a combination of that duo was expected to do, you're going to catch some strays. Now, speaking of all-star level players, I think this is as good a time as any to transition to this subject of the NBA announced their all-star starters. And I don't know how much time you got to look for background. For those who don't know, it's a, it's the vote is three components. The fan vote accounts for 50%. And then 25% for the media vote and 25% for the the player vote. And they announced their starters. And I wanted to begin in the Eastern Conference, actually, because one, this is a Cavalier podcast. Donovan Mitchell was announced as a starter joining Kyrie Irving in the backcourt. Uh, But the more highly debated part of the Eastern Conference all-star roster was the front court because there were four players competing for what was essentially three spots. Jason Tatum. Giannis, Joel Embiid, and Kevin Durant. Now, somebody was going to get asked out of that mix, and it turned out to be Joel Embiid. And Daryl Morey was none too happy. I want to play you a clip where he was speaking with our friend and co-worker Anthony Gargano uh, on 97.5 The Fanatic in Philly, and he had the following to say. I will say, though, Joel Embiid completely posed once again this time, this time, to your point, the, the, the perpetrators of the crime were the shameless media who most of them have recused themselves because they don't want to vote on something that affects players' paychecks. But the shameless, the shameless Boston media is way overrepresented. They haven't re- recused themselves, and they, they, they shoved Joel low enough so that he's not an all-star starter. It's crazy. Joel lost out on the media vote to two players. Tatum finished in first, Giannis finished in second, and Joel Embiid finished third. He beat out Kevin Durant, despite the fact that Joel Embiid has played the least games of all those guys. Jason Tatum and his, his gripe with the Boston media, first of all, it's unfounded. The Boston media is not the problem. What boned Joel Embiid was the fan vote. Because both Brooklyn Nets players, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, who are now starters in the All-Star game, absolutely dominated the fan vote. Kevin Durant got six and a half million votes. Embiid got the least of all four of those guys with less than five million votes. So it wasn't that he lost the media vote. 
he would have been one of the starters had they gone by the media vote, despite playing the least amount of games. It was that he was voted third in the player vote, he was voted third in the media vote, and he was fourth amongst the fan vote. Tatum wasn't the guy who kept him off the roster. In fact, Boston did not benefit from the vote because Jalen Brown, who very, even though he's a forward, he was getting votes as a backcourt player. Had he got enough fan votes, he probably would be starting. But Kyrie Irving cruised. He had more votes than even Donovan Mitchell. So he ended up being a starter. So Daryl Morey, his, his issue is with the media, which is ridiculous because the media vote isn't what cost Joel Embiid. It was the fact that the fans of Philadelphia didn't show up to put him higher in the rankings. So Daryl Morey misinterpreted the data. I can't believe that. <laughs> indeed. Indeed he did. Now, I mean, okay. I know that he's got to carry water somewhat for his star, but Jesus, this had nothing to do with Boston. And as somebody who hates Boston, I would love to blame them. But if anything, his issue should be with Brooklyn. You mentioned the guys who have played more than Joel Embiid. It's All not by much. It's not by much, though. Tatum Kevin is, Durant- though. Tatum is. Tatum is 12 games more at this point. Tatum is. But KD and Giannis, it's close. It's within two games. And with how good Joel Embiid has been this season and how they've shot up the Eastern Conference standings with him averaging almost 36 per game over the last two months now, the All-Star voting has been flawed forever. The All-Star game has been flawed forever. Why are we still in a league that's gone positionless Still voting by position, front court and back court. That's See that the problem. Part, he that, should be in over Kyrie Irving. I agree with that part. I'm definitely, I totally agree with that part. It should be positionless. We should be able to throw one of those guys in the back court because essentially we're debating between a spot for Kyrie Irving and Jalen Brown, and both those guys are on a significantly lower tier than Embiid. But it also does bother me to some extent when when somebody's going to go to war over what's essentially an exhibition game. And it's a much more fun all-star watch for Kyrie Irving than it is for Joel Embiid. If we really are going to, the, the, yeah. if you're really going to give all this power to the fan vote, 50% fan vote, then this is what's going to happen. People like watching. How often do we get to see big men dominate the all-star game? And Joel Embiid might be the type that could. I'm not offended that he's going to have to play off the bench because they platoon guys. I know the starters play slightly more, but they could choose to ride Joel Embiid if that's the case. From a philosophical standpoint, I'm not with you on the whole wins-losses thing. That bothers me when people bring that in. I I, I don't mind it as a tiebreaker, but as an actual... I'm con- not saying it's everything. Yeah. Well, I heard it more in the Western Conference when people were saying... I heard, I heard a case where, um, I believe it was Andy Larson with the Salt Lake Tribune, was discrediting... Um, LeBron because Lowry Markinen had helped lead to more wins and both those teams were basically in the toilet so it's it's just who's the shiniest turd in that scenario and that's a time where I'm like okay you're just grasping at straws here like the data is good but to me the games played matter the raw numbers matter and then I'll look to the team and in the backcourt I think what we saw was that Irving shockingly I mean he won the fan vote but he also was the most popular amongst the players he finished First, above Mitchell, Brown, DeRozan was fourth, despite the fact that he's really a forward. Uh, Four Cavalier fans. Garland finished seventh behind Halliburton, but above Jalen Brunson and Trey Young. I don't even see him on this list amongst the players. The fans, however, voted Darius Garland 10th. Only 375,000 votes for poor DG, the PG, whereas Mitchell got 
Four and a half million. So he's got to do some work appealing to the NBA fandom at large if he wants to make a dent. Um, he's got to get out of Cleveland. Uh, hey, hey, you bite your tongue. You're a goddamn best here. <laughs> Wait, what podcast is this? How dare you? How dare you? Well, <laughs> this is covetous point guard loving Clipper fan right now trying to lure our all-star, well, soon to be former all-star Guard, Darius Garland. Okay, so... Oh, wait, how rough is that, though? You're in Utah, you finally get a leave, and it's like, wait a second, now I'm in Cleveland. <laughs> I'm <laughs> you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Back to your slander of Cleveland. Did you have any issues with those uh, Eastern Conference starters, Irving or Mitchell? Would you have... Now, Brown's not even truly a guard. Would you have wanted him as a starter over Irving, or where did you land on that? I might put... Tyrese Halliburton over Kyrie Irving, to be honest, but I know he's missed what the last nine or 10 games, but there's something like one in seven without him in Indiana. And he's one of two players in the league this season, getting 20 or more points or 10 or more assists per game, him and James Harden. Well, he did come close. He was the third in media votes and he has played uh, 40 games total on the season. So three more than Irving, uh, despite this January kind of drop off i alluded to one of the previous podcasts even when he played in january he was having a bit of a down month so i think that momentum kind of went against him here but i i have no issues with that if that was the case can't all the starters at least be the number one options on their that's the funny thing though he's not even the highest usage player on the pacers my goodness benedict matherin getting more usage than tyrese halliburton here which kind of makes it by brilliant point there all the more impressive listen you just two seconds before i i screwed up this this call and cut it off you were saying that it was uh what was me he got traded from utah to cleveland so i will undercut any and everything all right western conference front court this is the more fun one here Jokic, a lock he made it lebron yeah. he made it and then the third guy selected was zion now the surprising thing there is that zion has played less than 30 games only 29 games he and Anthony Davis were the two guys who statistically have very strong numbers, but have played below 30 games, and they were competing with two guys in DeMontis Sabonis and Lowry Markinen, who played 45 and 46 games, respectively. Did you have an issue with Zion? As someone who has covered the Clippers for some time, you begin to realize the best ability is availability. And (laughs) Zion Williamson missing 20 or so games, whatever it is, I think that stuff has to matter. I brought this up before when it comes to awards. I remember when Kawhi missed, I think, 18 games in a season for the San Antonio Spurs and still got Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I thought it should have gone to Draymond Green at that time. I'm, I'm sure you would hate that pick, Bob. But <laughs> I, I, I think oh, look getting at that. out Technical there difficulties the again. <laughs> <laughs> getting out there on the court has to matter. And I, I don't often agree with Charles Barkley, but I think he's right here, especially when I'd say it's close. Now, if you now, just who did want he say? to say, who did he say? Uh, he said, here's a bonus for marketing. It. Okay. Should be over Williamson. But look, it depends. It it starts with criticizing the all-star game in general and how the voting is accumulated uh, and the way the game is played and where the votes are coming from. And then you can get down to the players. But I guess since we're already there, I'll say I would put in Markkinen over over Williamson. See, I'd go Sabonis. This would be one of those few scenarios where I would go Sabonis because they're close enough that then if the tiebreaker is team success, I would lean towards 
DeMontis. He's slightly more efficient. They're both incredibly good, though. 66.5%, 66.7% true shooting. Sabonis, one of the best passers amongst big men. The best rebounder in the game, perhaps. But Lowry Markin a more prolific scorer. And, of course, doing it with almost zero expectations that he could achieve what he has. Plus, if you want to look at the uh, feel-good narrative, the All-Star game is in Salt Lake City. He would be a hometown kid getting a chance to start. Well, not hometown. I mean, he's from Finland. But you get what I'm saying. I remember when David West got the nod in New Orleans a decade ago, whenever it was. I'm not going off of that, though. I'm going back to number one option on their team. Now, I haven't checked the usage rating with, with Markinen, but given the type of year he's had and how they were at the top of the West for you know a good week and a half, uh, it was impressive for a team that had a complete sell-off of their two best players, and Markinen has generated buzz around the Utah Jazz. And yeah, it is close between him and Sabonis, but the Kings just have a lot more talent right now. I, 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 it's crazy how to say. How dare you? But- Ochai Abaji, Colin Sexton. <laughs> how dare you? Is Rudy Gay still there? Rudy uh, Gay is still there. <laughs> I don't know. Marketing, it's not just his three-pointers. He's dunking on guys all the time. I'm going with he's the main guy that you have to account for every night and slow down if you want to get a win against the Utah Jazz. And while that has been happening and they're a game under 500 or whatever it is, through a lot of this season, teams weren't able to do so. Okay, fair enough. I mean, we we can agree to disagree on that point. Uh, Speaking of the fan vote, though, 50% more votes than PG. Andrew Wiggins with two and a half million, which is absurd. Paul George coming in sixth amongst the fans. The players also place him sixth. So just outside of that conversation of the people who I think we can all agree were the ones being discussed, Paul George bringing up the rear. So... And, and I'm that, okay with it though. Yeah. No, Paul no, George that's no, that's no shade. Team. That's no shade to him. It's just, it's just a shout out to a, a beloved Clippers player um, and trying to put some context in this year. Now the backcourt, we had four main people contending for two spots. Luke and Steph Curry were the winners and uh, Shea and Morant end up being guys who will likely be all-stars, but will not be representing the starters. Curry, if there's a knock against him, it's just the games played. He's played 33 games. But his numbers, truly incredible. Highest true shooting percentage amongst all those guys at 65.5%, doing 29-6-6. Six, and six. So, and, and he dominated the fan vote, which is a regular occurrence. So, yet again, it was going to be tough to displace him. But with the players, Luka, Curry, Ja, Shea. With the fans, they went Curry, Luka, Ja, Shea. So, it seems to be a, a consensus there. Any issue there? Uh, you could make the argument, John ja Morant, if you're just going off of body of work this season, team record, him playing, I think, seven or eight more games than Steph Curry. But Curry's a legacy guy also like LeBron James, where if he's having a good year, and he is, I, I think you have to have him in as a starter. I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I don't like the politics, though, of it. I don't like the popularity contest of it because, you know, it. This is the 2023 All-Star Game. What happened in prior years should not play into this, but it's been like this forever, and this is what the All-Star Game is. You know what the greatest moment in All-Star Game history was? Magic Johnson playing when he wasn't in the league. (laughs) So what are we talking about here? In the end, it's still just an exhibition game. And and in a lot of ways, I don't get why these GMs are rallying to, to get guys put in as starters when there may be roster bonuses and other things like that. You should just want a guy to play as few minutes as possible, you know, not get hurt, 
not run any risk that it actually damages your team. It's a lot of complaining for nothing, but it always is a, a fun thing to litigate. And certainly with Garland having a hell of a month here and Mitchell being banged up, um, there will be a lot more conversation amongst the Cavs fandom as far as can he eke his way into the all-star roster, which will be tough because, you know, 12 people, that's a small list. So the reason I think they should do an overhaul with how the all-star game is run is because at the end of guys' careers, they get judged by all-star game appearances and that can weigh into hall of fame credentials. And I guess it's never going to change. And I would just encourage people to look at all NBA because I think that's a better calculation or a better, uh, qualifier for how good a player was but it's still frustrating to me every year we have these conversations and it just seems like an easy thing to start off with which is just make it positionless get with the times why is the nba being so archaic here that would solve some of these problems i would do that right out the gate and i would dilute the fan vote even more as much as i think there's a lot of stupid players out there um Oh, you mean the guys that voted for Jay Crowder and Lonzo Ball? Don't even get me started on Jay Crowder. That's a whole nother podcast. I'm trying to keep well, this I thing to. within an hour. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, you must be delighting there with the uh, Phoenix Suns struggles with a newly maxed DeAndre Ayton and the issues they're having with Booker and, and Paul looking long in the tooth. Things have, that window has seemingly slammed shut pretty quickly here. Yeah, there's uh, some good caulking on that window now. It's never coming back open, I think, <laughs> which is a damn shame because Devin Booker, who's been out a ton and they've suffered from it, and I know a lot of people don't like him, but if he only had that chance, at least to be one of the main guys on a championship winning team that early in his career and doesn't get another shot because they've mismanaged things, that is going to be rough. Yeah. Yeah, and talk about the ultimate FU to uh, to have the Indiana Pacers strike the blow that doomed your cap sheet into eternity or a disgruntled <laughs> center. As far as annoying fan bases go, because I find myself, you know, diving right into the mud lately on these last two podcasts in terms of the Knicks and then the Rockets after that. Uh, for you personally. About the Daryl Morey fan base. You're going after them. Well, yeah, that too. But I mean, come on. That's just, that was lacking all self-awareness. I, I Some people <laughs> need to... At Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio. It's a hard listen, not going to lie. Even pulling that clip, very rough. A lot of stuff I left out there. But if there's a fan base that you find particularly irritating, what is your ranking? Would it be Lakers, Suns, far and away, one, two? Uh, It would certainly start with the Lakers. Everything else is a distant second there. Just from what I've dealt with my entire life, originally being up in Sacramento, I once called in. I don't know if it was AM 570 or Fox Sports Radio or AM 1150, whatever the local station was back in the day in the early 2000s. I think I used to call in and prank call them uh, from Sacramento. (laughs) Well, I definitely, I I think that's how we met originally was... uh, I became yeah. aware of your, before you started working in the same industry, your, your reputation preceded you. I was as much of an irritant as Patrick Beverly was on the court, yeah. <laughs> on the phone lines. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so prediction time. Cavs, Clippers, what do you expect to see? Make some, make some outlandish. I want some player well, prediction and an and result predi- prediction. Obviously, it looks like, you know, just a scheduling loss for the Clippers uh, on Sunday. It's going to be a tough one for them to win, especially if no Kawhi Leonard and possibly no Paul George, if they hold him out too. I, uh, I, I've i circled this game 
for some time and have been like, oh no, Bob's going to get his get back on me here. He's just waiting and just licking his chops and waiting. the Clippers could get blown out by 20 in this one. But I hope they make it competitive. They keep it competitive and they are in a position to come back down 13 with just minutes remaining. Rude. rude. <laughs> Dean Wade is going to light you up. And then mm. we're going to win. We're going to take that game because you're on a back-to-back. Hopefully you'll be tired. We'll be well-rested. Okay. There. F you then. Here's my hope. Marcus <laughs> Morris. Marcus uh, Morris returns. How dare you? Drops 45 in Cleveland. And then does the Joe, uh, Joe Kim Noah impression post-game and asks why anybody wants to go there. Okay. Well, well I want people to... Uh, Make Adam aware of your feelings at follow Adam A on Twitter, the uh, Clippers pre and post game host, the co-host of the FNA podcast. Joining me here today, you are now the second guest on the long and storied history of the Fear of the Fro podcast, Adam. Do you know? I- now, this is testing to see if you actually ever listen to what I'm doing. Do you know who the other guest is? Well, obviously, I already messed up because you said you reviewed uh, some stuff on a prior show that I brought up and didn't realize. <laughs> but uh, actually, I'm trying to fly guys? under the oh, radar. Chris here. Mannix? No, no, I've not. I've not brought Mannix on yet. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Ricky Rubio to do something particularly notable, and then yep. I'm gonna and then I'm gonna go pounding on Mannix's door. But uh, the other person that I brought on is a Detroit Pistons podcaster, Bryce Simon. So, I uh, be Simon. Yeah, be signed. I would like to take a moment to apologize and try to ingratiate myself to Cleveland Cavaliers fans for the crap talk earlier. I have an affinity for you guys. Like I said, I'm from Sacramento, so I know what it's like <laughs> to be the underdog all the time in a long-suffering franchise. And I took great joy in seeing them win in 2016, down 3-1, partly because Bob Schmidt's one of my good friends, but it ruffled a lot of feathers with Jordan fans as well. So, uh, Oh, here's a I'm stat. By the way, guys. I wanted to bring this up because there's really, I'm shoehorning this thing in here. But you know what Why I not? realized the other day when I was, I was, a lot of these games with LeBron, I watch him bombing away from three-point land and missing a ton of them and thinking, you son of a bitch, you're going to shoot so many three-pointers in the late stages of your career that your career three-point percentage is going to dip below Jordan and I'm never going to hear the end of it by the time you hang up. <laughs> but then what happened was I started looking at the NBA changed the three-point line distance in the mid-90s yeah. for three it seasons. Was three years. And it coincided with the with Jordan's best seasons, where he shot over 50% from three, over 47% from three, and, and the high 30%. It knocked out all he three of his... shot 50% from three. Well, it was, his four, it was his 14-game season where he came back. That's what I'm talking about. So, okay, 94-95. So, yeah. yeah, Steve Kerr also had a 50% shooting season from the outside with a shortened three-point yeah. line, but nobody uh, you, wants to talk about that. That's the thing. For as much as I've heard this debate a thousand times, I can't believe I haven't heard somebody say, hold hold up, pump the brakes. The few seasons where, where Michael Jordan actually shot three-plus attempts from three-point land were on a shortened line. Because a lot of the other seasons, they're a blip. They were terrible. He had some terrible seasons at the end, but he always shot so few three-pointers that it didn't vastly affect the percentages. But uh, I brought up the baby three-point line forever when well, everybody wants to throw it back to the 90s and talk how much tougher it was then. Oh, you mean when they had to shorten the three-point line for guys? I guess I just, uh, I similarly, I missed those podcasts for you, you son of a bitch. <laughs> hey, I'll give Jordan this, though. I also had been on this for a little bit, and I looked up his three-point percentage during the first three-peat. So, prime Jordan. And it was only still about 120 total shots throughout those three playoff runs. 
but he shot, I think, 38% from the outside. So when he needed to, it did seem like he could figure it out from distance. Yeah, and also, I think another thing that would be interesting to see in today's NBA is what would his free throw attempts per game be? I mean, he was getting eight. He, he already was outpacing LeBron, and LeBron's played in this era. Hey, there were more fouls called per game, though, in the 80s and early 90s than there are now. That's a fact. As much as they would say, oh, no harm, no foul, no blood, no foul. Guys were getting shot and stabbed when they went into the lane back then. No, they called fouls a lot. And Jordan averaged 12 free throw attempts in the year he, he scored 37 per game. Well, I would settle for just one extremely aggressive flagrant foul on Marcus Morris, and uh, I would come away happy. Adam, I want really to. I wanted to. Uh, to do that, I don't know if you got guys strong enough for Marcus. No, I got guys strong enough. Have you not met Robin Lopez? Robin Lopez he will fears murder no fro. Everyone oh, on he your fears team. that fro too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We we need. It's always great to have an enforcer type. So that's that's the other reason for you getting a backup center. So you don't have all these string bean pansy wings running around out there, not able to, <laughs> to back it up. All right. All right. We enough slam. This is really dude. this is going off the rails quite quickly here. At follow Adam A. The FNA podcast. You should check that out as well. I did one today with him and his co-host Kevin Figures. You can find that on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, on all the places. This has been the Fear the Fro podcast. Please, if you want more of this type of content say as much in the reviews. Uh, Like, subscribe, follow the podcast, and uh, more on the way. Hopefully extending, and I'm saying this before the Thunder game, hopefully extending a three-game winning streak uh, as we take on the Clippers on Sunday. But if that's not the case, it's not my fault. It's uh, Adam's fault. I'll take the blame. All right, good. (laughs) I'll take uh, all the blame if the Clippers win. Till next time, Adam. Thank you very much for joining me. All right, appreciate you, Bob. Love you. High-level analysis, as always. You're my favorite. Levert, live to Mobley. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.